Jesus. Whoever that was, you love Jesus. Um, Let's pray. Lord, good to be here this morning. Thankful for your time. Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts for what you have to say through the word. Prepare our hearts for communion. Prepare our hearts to truly hear this, live this, and go out and represent you and always say and do. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 17 this morning. Continue our study here through the book of Proverbs. We're going to start in verse 3. Proverbs 17, verse 3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Now, depending on your translations, may not say refining. Good old King James out there, you have something called fining. Uh, Some other translations say crucible. Some say fire. This idea of the fire, Proverbs 17, 3, the fire comes in and tests. Now, the idea is this, that if you had some gold, you had some silver, and you wanted to refine it, you put it through the fire. And as you put it through the fire, the fire burns out all the impurities so that what is left is hopefully just precious, pure gold or precious, pure silver. And the idea is this, is the fire is supposed to burn out the impurities in our life, leaving us valuable in Christ Jesus. Now, we're not talking about the fire here of hell and salvation, etc. Salvation is done through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This is a refining process. You are here, you are born again, you are saved, and the Lord allows refining to come into your life because we all have things in our life that need to be burned out. We all have impurities that need to be taken care of, and the Lord allows fires to come into our lives to take care of this. And this is what we're talking about here, being refined. Let the Lord testing our hearts to see what this looks like. So now we're going to talk about what this looks like on the inside. We're going to talk about what this looks like on the outside. Let's talk about the inside first. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. As you're looking at 1 Peter 1, we're going to start in verse 6. It says this. In this you greatly rejoice. Just stop right there. Don't read ahead. Some of you are still reading ahead, I can tell. In this, you greatly rejoice. People want joy in life. They want joy. That's what you see. People want joy. They want peace. They want to be able to lay down at night and have joy and peace. They want to get up in the morning and have joy and peace. They want a purpose in life that is driving them to something different. And when I talk to a lot of people, when they finally become honest with their lives, they usually say they don't have joy, they don't have peace. We've mentioned this many times before. Your joy only comes through the Lord. Your peace only comes through the Lord. That's where it's going to be. So for us to greatly rejoice, we need to understand where our joy comes from. It's easy to rejoice when everything is going good. If you had a great week, it's easy to come in here and just say, Lord, I love the praise and worship. I love everything about it. God is good. Amen. Joy. If you had a rough week, it's easy to come in here and just become critical and upset about everything. It's really easy. We let our joy in life dictate so much when really our joy is based in Christ and Christ alone. So therefore, no matter what you are going through, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you can have the joy of the Lord. And according to Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, in this we greatly rejoice. But what are we rejoicing in specifically here in verse 6? Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That's hard. Lord, you want me to rejoice that I have been grieved by various trials. You want me to rejoice that you have allowed fire into my life to burn me. To burn me, to get rid of the impurities that are in my life, to make me more like Jesus Christ. That is not enjoyable. And as we like to say out here a lot, God has asked us to have joy in all circumstances. That does not mean you enjoy all circumstances. But there's supposed to be joy. 
And you need to learn to have joy and rejoice in the idea of, Lord, you are allowing fire to come into my life to take care of it. This is hard to do. And I'm not saying I got this figured out. But what the Lord's really been laying on my heart in this season of life here for me recently is trusting the sovereignty of God. Just trusting that God's in charge and he's in control. So since he's in charge and he's in control, if something comes into my life that I don't really like, I don't consider it good, God says that he works good in all things. That I need to allow that fire to come into my life to burn out some impurity that's there to make me more like Christ Jesus. It's like, okay, Lord, I trust you. And it's become so freeing. It becomes so freeing because I don't have to sit there and worry about making sure that I just got this prayer perfectly covered. And I don't have to worry about making sure every I is dotted, every T is crossed. Because sometimes I don't know what to pray or how to pray. And the Bible says the Spirit himself intercedes. It's great just to be able to stop and say, Lord, in this situation that is so completely, utterly overwhelming to me, I can just trust your sovereignty on. Because you are good and you do good. I was talking to Dawn the other day about something, and the subject came up about a situation I was dealing with, and I was trying to explain it to her. And as I was trying to explain, it's like, there are so many layers to this thing. It's just a mess. But you know what? God's good. And I trust his sovereignty. So therefore, in verse 6, if there are some trials that have come into your life, and you're grieved by them, you're distressed by them, you're bothered by them, God says rejoice. Because that fire that's coming in is getting rid of the impurities to make us more like Christ. Look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the fire comes in, it tests our faith, and makes our genuine faith precious gold. Going back to what we read in Proverbs 17, there is a refining process that we go through through fire where the impurities are burned out. This is part of the reason why I wanted to do communion today is because when we get ready to partake of communion, there's a time of self-examination. There's a time of going before the Lord as we get ready to partake of these elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ is to stop and say, Lord, I look at what you went through on the cross and I want to be more like you in all that I say and all that I do. So, Lord... And you take a deep breath and you say, refine me. Let the fire come in. Start on the inside and start refining me and burning out these impurities that need to be taken out so that way I can rejoice in all things and just trust you. Now, what about on the outside? Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians 3. First Corinthians 3 deals on what's going on now on the outside. 1 Peter 1 is telling us about the inside, the fire refining us to make us more like Christ and we rejoice. 1 Corinthians 3, now we deal with what's going on on the outside. Take a look here at 1 Corinthians 3. Go with verse 6 with me, please. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. These are verses that I go to a lot as a pastor. Because I take a look at verse 6. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. There's some seasons where I plant. There's some seasons where I water. But ultimately, verse 6, it's God. It has to be the Lord. And there's been times where people have come out here to church, and we've had the blessing and the opportunity to lead them into Christ. Now, that wasn't us. People had witnessed these people for years, maybe decades. People had prayed for them. We just got the blessing of literally picking the fruit off the tree. And there's been times that we've had chance to invest in people for maybe days, weeks, months, years, decades. We didn't see them get saved, but we got a chance to plant. We got a chance to water. But God ultimately gives the increase. 
I've shared this story with you many times before, but there was a, a young lady out here years ago that we ministered a lot to. A lot of late night phone calls, a lot of early morning phone calls, a lot of tears, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. It was a very difficult season of ministry. And we were with this gal and ministering to her through all hours of the day, all the time. One Sunday she wasn't here and didn't know what happened. She called me up that evening and she says, hey, I got to tell you what happened. My aunt invited me to her church, so I went to her church. And guess what happened? She goes, I got saved. I didn't say amen. I thought, how did he? He got to lead her to the Lord. I'm the one that prayed with her. I'm the one that took the phone calls. I'm the one that stayed up late. I'm the one that went through all that. He's never met this gal before, and he got the blessing of seeing her get saved. And the Lord says, wait a second. Sometimes you plant, sometimes you water, but God gives the increase. And you got to remember that. Now, you would think that by this time I wouldn't be bitter over it. Maybe still a little bitter. I mean, I got to work through it. There are seasons and you got to remember that every interaction you have with somebody, it may be as short as 10 seconds, it may be the checkout gal at the Walmart, represent Jesus Christ to them. It may be something that's longer. You may have people in your life for weeks, months, years, decades, represent Jesus Christ. Plant, water. You may not get a chance to see the fruit, but God says right here that he gives the increase. Somebody told me, very own in ministry, to enjoy the season you have with people, because you never know how long that season's going to last. And there's been seasons where people come into this church and they are just fruitful from the beginning. You're like, wow. Why? Because someone has invested years and decades into them. And they're a mature believer that's ready to serve. And there's been times out here where people have come out here and we've invested in them. And we never got a chance to see the maturity. They've gone some other place through different reasons. And you hear they're doing great. Then amen. Thank you, Lord, for the season of planting. Thank you for the season of watering. Because verse 6 God gave the increase. So verse 7, neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters. It's God. Do we really think it's us? No way. There's nothing about us. Lord, I just want to faithfully represent your love to every person I run into. That's all I can do. Give them scriptures and point them to the Lord. Some people come, there's one Sunday with them. That's all we get is one Sunday. Then let's love them while they're here. You never know. And everything we do in life is a season. We talked about that last week in our study in Proverbs. For some of you, you are in the season of raising kids. Love them, disciple them, train them up to be disciples of Christ, and they will go out and hopefully live the life. But whatever that season is, plant, water, and see what the Lord does. Because what happens is, verse 8, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The whole idea has to be the foundation of Christ. I I think I say this at, at nearly every wedding I do. The only foundation of a life has to be Christ. The only foundation of a marriage has to be Christ. A life not built on the foundation of Christ cannot last. A marriage not built on the foundation of Christ cannot last. It has to be Christ. So if I really do believe this, my job, verse 11, is to say, I just want to see people built on the foundation of Christ for whatever season we have them. Now we get into, though, the fire. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so is through the fire. This is not salvation. Be careful about this. This is because you are saved. Your works are judged. Your works are going to be rewarded. Please let me stress again, this is not a judgment of salvation. This is a judgment of since I am saved, how am I living for you? I kind of call this a job review, if you will. 
So in 1 Peter 1, God tests us internally. My heart, am I more like you, Christ? Here in 1 Corinthians 3, he's now testing what we do. Why do we do what we do? That's something to really think about. See, there's a lot of times we have outward obedience. We look good. We sound good. God says, yeah, but I know what's really going on in your heart. Has been been said many times before. I don't know who first said it. I think the first one I read it from was Charles Spurgeon. But a broken clock tells the right time twice a day. And if you only see the clock at that moment, that clock works. And we have a tendency to stop and say, hey, so-and-so's at church. Oh, they must be good. Not necessarily. So-and-so's not at church. They must be bad. Not necessarily. We don't know. But we need to stop and say, Lord, what is going on in my life with my motives? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And Lord, to be honest, test it with fire. Because there's a lot of times we can look good, sound good, and our heart's not right with the Lord. And so the Lord says that fire will come in verse 13. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Proverbs 17, the Lord tests the heart. There is a refining process that we need to go through where the Lord stops and says, I'm going to get in this. I'm going to reveal. I'm going to get those impurities out of your life. It's going to burn. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to make you more like Christ in all that you say and all that you do. Now, this sounds good. There's a bit of a problem with this, though, is we can't trust ourselves. You don't need to turn there, but Jeremiah 17 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. See, sometimes I think I'm right. And I can so convince myself that I'm right. No. The Lord knows my heart. The Lord reveals that with fire. The Lord judges my motives. You know, sometimes we see people and they're just servants of all servants. They must deeply, desperately love Jesus, maybe. Or maybe they love the pats on the back. You know, one of the things they always remind us of when we go to any type of conference, any type of teaching, it's like, why are you in the ministry? You're in the ministry because you want to see souls get saved. You're in the ministry because you want to see people go deeper in Christ. If you're in any type of kingdom building, of building your own kingdom on this earth, you're in the wrong place. We got to be careful that the Lord comes in and tests our hearts because he knows sometimes our motives. And we have to stop and say, Lord, you search me. You try me. You know, one of the verses that we do when it comes to communion is Psalm 139. Lord, search me and try me. See if there's any anxiety, any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, you come in and search me and test me because my heart is wicked. And I can rationalize and I can convince myself and tell myself, No, I'm really okay. And the Lord says, yeah, I I know your motives. I know your heart. I know your thoughts. And he does this to us in love because he wants to refine us to get the impurities out to make us more precious in the eyes of Christ to be in a picture and example of him. So put this all together. Proverbs 17 says God tests us. He refines us. 1 Peter 1 says he gets in and does the fire into my heart to make me more like him. Then he says in 1 Corinthians 3 that he tests what I do on the outside, all my works, to make sure it's him. But then he tells me in Jeremiah that he's the only one that can do it because I'm so sinful and wicked and deceitful. I can convince myself, rationalize myself to make it sound like I'm right when really I'm wrong. So what am I supposed to do? Go with me to Psalm 19. What are we supposed to do? good place to start is communion. Lord, examine us. Check my motives. Check my heart. 
Am I really desiring to be more like you? The Lord refines us in many different ways as you're going to Psalm 19. If the Lord lays on your heart that you're a very impatient person, and you stop and you say, okay, Lord, I want to be more like you, you're going to go into work tomorrow and find out they hired the most annoying, obnoxious person you've ever met that happens to work right beside you on your line because the Lord says you wanted to learn patience. You're going to find out this spouse that you married is the most annoying, obnoxious person because the Lord is trying to teach you patience. The Lord refines, and it's all for his glory. And that's why in 1 Peter 1, in this you greatly rejoice. You have been grieved for a little while to be more like Christ. It is a small price to pay to be more like Christ. Just read a great article the other day, and it was talking about just how Hollywood throws all this junk at us just to just, you know, excite us. And the guy was basically saying, listen, listen, that two-hour movie that's going to excite you with all type of junk and lust and passion, whatever, it's not worth it to what you have waiting for you in eternity in Christ Jesus. Don't compromise it. Be grieved for a little bit. Take the trial. Take the tribulation. Take the refining. Let the fire come in and burn out all those impurities because it's worth it down the road. But how am I supposed to know what's supposed to be burned out? Because Jeremiah says, I'm deceitful. Take a look here at Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Look at verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. What a prayer. Lord, I can't even understand myself, so you need to come in here and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Because I'm going to take it the wrong way. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to justify what I think. I'm going to justify what I do. I'm going to say that's just my personality trait. That's just me. I was talking to Dawn about something the other day, and she mentioned something that I do, and she dropped this word. She goes, do you realize you come across creepy when you do that? Yeah, that's my helpmate right there. Do you realize you come across creepy? I didn't think I did. But she's like, yeah, you come across creepy. It's like, thanks for... 22 years into our marriage, you're finally telling me this. We don't realize it sometimes. I was praying through this verse a few weeks ago, and I don't mean this in some self-righteous way. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. It's like, okay, Lord, I, you know, I, I can't think of anything that I'm, you know, obviously ignoring. I mean, I know I struggle with this. I know this is a sin. I know this. And I really started studying this out, what this really means, cleanse me from secret faults. And it's like, okay, Lord, Open up every door, every closet in my life. Shine the flashlight in every corner. Flip on every light switch, Lord. Because what happens is I have secret faults and sins, which can mean things I'm trying to hide. It could also mean things that I'm just so used to, I don't realize anymore how sinful it is. I've so accepted into my life. I've so accepted of this is just how I am. This is just how I talk. This is just what I do. The Lord says, no. I tell you right now, if you go to the Lord with an honest, sincere prayer and you say, Lord, verse 12, who can understand his errors, cleanse me from secret faults. Get a pad and a piece of paper and a pen around and start writing it down. He'll reveal it to you. And I tell you, it's something you need to go through every now and then to stop and say, Lord, what am I ignoring in my own life? What do I just accept? What do I just rationalize down? What do I just justify that I'm utterly, completely wrong on? 
and once again open every single door, turn on every single light switch, and reveal it, Lord. Reveal it. What about the next one, 13? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins. Some of your translations. Deliberate sins. Willful sins. I like to say sins that are planned, purposeful, and promoted. You know it's wrong. You don't care it's wrong. And by golly, you're still going to do it. That's dangerous, folks. That is so dangerous where you stop and you realize and you know that this action is wrong. It will not bring any glory to God. In fact, it will pull my heart away from Jesus Christ and I'm still going to do it. There's five sacrifices in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. Sacrifices for many different things, many different trespasses, many different sins. There is not a sacrifice in the Bible for presumptuous sins where you just flat out in rebellion say, I'm going to do it and I don't care. Because what happens is your heart knows it's wrong. You didn't stumble into it. You didn't trespass into it. You planned it. You promoted it. And it's purposeful. Guys, that's dangerous. David Guzik, a good commentator that I like a lot, he says this. This is how he defines presumptuous sins. Sins done in a proud and knowing way. Things that make sins presumptuous. When we know better, when friends have warned us, when God himself has warned us, when we have warned others against the same sins, and when we plan and relish our sin. If you know somebody in that spot, they're in a very dangerous place spiritually. If you are here this morning and you're in that spot, you're in a very dangerous place spiritually. Because what you're basically saying is this, Lord, I know I'm wrong and I don't care I'm wrong. This is why we're finishing with communion. This is why we say, Lord, test us. This is why we say, Lord, refine us. This is why we say, Lord... I am deceitfully wicked above all things. Come in to my life and reveal this, Lord. Search me, try me, know my heart, know my anxiety, see if there's any iniquity in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Because, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be refined. I want these disgusting areas of sin in my life to be brought to light and then burned out. I want it. And I actually rejoice in this happening, even though it's going to hurt. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Let me see 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11 is usually the passage we go to for communion. And there's a part in it that we get to that we kind of have a tendency to skip over a little bit. I want us to really focus on it. Most of the time when we do communion in 1 Corinthians 11, we focus on 23 through 26, which we will do. But start in 27 with me. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When's the last time you examined yourself? When's the last time we take all these passages we talked about this morning? When's the last time we did this? We said, Proverbs 17, Lord, test my heart, refine me. 1 Peter 1, Lord, bring the fire in. Burn out all those impurities so that my faith may be genuine. 1 Corinthians 3, Lord, look at every action I do. Burn up the wood, hay, and stubble because it, it means nothing for eternity. And I'm doing it for prideful reasons. I'm doing it for lustful reasons. I'm doing it for reasons for me selfishly. And I'm just trying to make it look spiritual. 
Lord, I'm deceitfully wicked. I will fool myself. So you need to come in, Lord, and reveal my secret faults. Test my heart. And I need to examine myself. As it says right here, verse 28. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable. It brings to light things that we went hidden in darkness. I don't want to be burned. I don't want the fire, Lord. I want to do what I want to do without any guilt. The Lord says, no, I want you to be like me. And I need to burn out those impurities. And you and I need to have a long talk and love and grace and mercy and truth about what needs to change in your life. But you've got to quiet your heart to do it. You know, before we partake of communion here in a little bit, we always have a time of silent confession because this is what it says to do, examine. We live in a society today, in a world today, where we don't like silence. Your phone is always ringing, dinging. You always have a TV on or a radio on. We get in the car, immediately turn music on. There's always noise. The idea of silence makes us uncomfortable. But we need to sometimes silence our hearts, as it says in Psalms, be still and know that I am God. We need to silence our hearts and realize, Lord, there's so much outside noise. How am I ever supposed to hear you? I am a big fan of getting up before anybody else in the household and making sure that I'm in the word, in prayer, giving things over to the Lord. That's hard to do. There's a lot of people in my household. There's a lot of noise, a lot of things going on. And we're also in a season where we, with the twins, we still have a, a baby monitor set up. So that way we can hear them. And so there's a monitor going in my room 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when the girls go to bed at night, we usually have some music playing in the background, WBCL or something like that. So when I wake up in the morning, I wake up and it's like, who is already talking? <laughs> because there's a monitor going in my room all the time with people talking and music. And I just want silence sometimes. So I'm like, Dawn, can't we shut the monitor off? Dawn's like, no, we need to be able to hear the girls. Okay. And she's like, just get up in the morning and shut the monitor off. That involves getting out of bed. I don't want to do that. That means I have to get out and go do something. So I've started doing this now. And and I struggled through the wording at the 830 because I didn't know what they were called. And many of you came up to me later and said they're just called earmuffs. That doesn't sound very manly to me. But we have earmuffs that we use uh, when Dawn or I go out and go shooting. So they silence out all the stuff. So I put those beside my bed now. So I used to say that when I get up in the morning, I love Jesus. But the first thing I do is put my glasses on because I can't see. And I start devotion. So now I put my glasses on. I put the earmuffs on. And I start reading. So I mentioned how I'm creepy. If you guys ever creepily come into my room in the morning, you're going to see me wearing earmuffs, glasses, and reading. Because that's the only way. That's silence. I can't hear anything. There's so much other noise. And I think a lot of times in life we don't like silence because then we're stuck with just us. And what happens is the Holy Spirit can speak. See, the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, he speaks in the still, small, soft voice. He doesn't yell. And if you constantly have noise going on in life, how are you supposed to ever hear the Lord? That's why it's good to quiet your heart and let the Holy Spirit speak. Why do we like to cover up that voice? Because sometimes when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he speaks refining to us. He speaks fire to us. I don't want to be burned. Lord, I want to justify every thought I have. I want to rationalize every belief I have. I want to defend everything I think. And don't tell me I'm wrong. 
And the Holy Spirit just quietly speaks to you. The Holy Spirit has the loudest whisper I've ever heard. It cuts. And this is why, before we partake of communion, we examine ourselves. This is why we test our hearts. This is why the Lord says, I come in with the fire to burn out all the impurities. And I'm telling you right here, right now, you can fake it. You can show up. You can do whatever you want to do. You can. Because only the Lord knows your heart. But I'm telling you also right now, if you really want to be more like Jesus, and I'm not just saying the words, I'm saying you really honestly desire to say, Lord, I want to be like you. Allow right now the Holy Spirit to come in and speak fire to your heart, to burn out those impurities that need to be burned out. Allow the Lord to work through the deceitfulness of sin that we have, where we rationalize and we make a judgment call on this and we defend every belief and thought and every anger we sin we have. And the Lord says, no, your heart is deceitfully wicked. I can cut through that. Allow the Lord to come in, as we just read in Psalm 19. Allow him to come in and to cleanse us from our secret faults, to reveal our errors, to keep us from presumptuous sins. Allow the Lord to come in and do this. Don't just take this time of quietness now where we prepare our hearts for communion and you just kind of sit there and twiddle your thumbs. Stop and say, Lord, if I really mean this, if I really want this, I'm here today to say, Lord, I want to be more like you. And as I get ready to partake of this and eat of this, Lord, I really want to be more like you. I tell you guys, there's a lot of people in the world today that are Christians in name only. There's a truth to Matthew 7 where it says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. I don't know your heart just like you don't know my heart. But I know that my heart needs refined. I know that my heart has secret faults and sins. And I know that sometimes I have presumptuous sins. And I know that I need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, examine me. (sighs) Yeah, Lord, there's a pride in that. Yep, Lord, there's a lust there. Yep, Lord, there's a selfishness there. So we're going to get ready here. We're going to examine ourselves. And it's going to get quiet for a while. And I hope you hear the loud whisper of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And I hope you realize it's done in grace, mercy, and love. Let's go to the Lord in this. Lord, we want to take everything, everything that we've read this morning, refine our hearts, make us genuine in you. Lord, burn all of our works and see what's really done for you. Lord, my heart is so deceitful I can fool myself. Lord, bring the flashlight, flip every light on, open every door in my life, and Lord, shine the light in there on what needs to be taken care of. In the name of Jesus, Lord, cleanse me from those secret faults, those secret errors, those secret sins, and let it truly be for you and all that we say and all that we do. And as we come to you now, Lord, we come to you quietly, and we examine, examine through your Holy Spirit what needs to change to be refined in you, to be more like you in all that we say and do for your glory, Lord. Let's just quiet our hearts before him now.
Lord, it can be overwhelming. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for the fire that burns out the impurities. Thank you for a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Thank you in your name. Amen. I had a phone call recently with somebody. And the subject came up of them feeling unworthy. So we started talking about what grace means. And I defined to them grace, the idea of gift, unmerited favor, that God just wants to bless you with salvation and the gifts of the Spirit and lead and guide just grace, this beautiful picture of a gift that we have not earned or deserved. And we had this long conversation about what grace means and represents This person had never fully understood what grace means. Maybe we use it as a girl's name. Maybe we throw it out a little bit. But do we ever fully understand what grace means? That God just loves you and forgives you and we have not earned it or deserved it in anything. So we explained that to her. She stopped. She started crying. And you know what she said? She goes, that's amazing. And I said, what did you say? She goes, that's amazing. And it hit me for the first time. Growing up in a church, singing the song Amazing Grace, knowing what grace means, to hear somebody for the first time actually figure out that grace is amazing. And that by her own choice of words, she just wanted to find grace as amazing. And I said, are you familiar with the song Amazing Grace? She said, yeah. And she got it and she started crying some more. And I said, do you know what the first lines of those songs are? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And when you actually start to understand grace and how God saved us, that we are a wretch, we're a mess, all of a sudden it's like, Lord, I'm a mess. Refine me. Bring the fire in, Lord. Make me more like you. And maybe you got a lot of stuff going on right now and you feel very unworthy. I want you to make sure you understand grace, that it's amazing. And God says, I forgive you when you confess and repent. And it's a clean slate, born again, new creation in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing, amazing grace. As we get ready now to partake of communion, just a couple quick reminders. We brought some of the older classes in. We don't have church membership here. So therefore, if you're here, you're part of this, and we ask you to partake of communion with us. We just say a couple things. Parents, we leave it up to you to make sure your children are old enough to understand and grasp what communion is. They can be part of it with you. And number two, we always believe it's important to make sure you understand salvation before we get into this. This is why we had a time of self-examination. This is why we want to make sure you understand as you partake of this what you're doing. You are doing this in remembrance of Jesus Christ, of what he did on the cross. I heard a pastor say one time, communion's the closest you can get to the cross of Calvary. Where you stop and understand that this bread represents the body that took the pain, that took the punishment, that took the penalty of your sin. And this cup represents the blood that forgives, the only blood that is accepted in heaven for the complete, utter forgiveness of sins. That's the price that was paid for our salvation. And to 